Hello, and welcome to Captive Audience. I'm your host, sipping on some Wawa coffee, Kelly, and my guest today is Caleb Cooper. Hello. Who you may recognize from literally the last episode. There was just a little bit of like a miscommunication about the guest um, for this episode. So, but luckily Caleb was here to save my butt. Hey. Thank glad. you, Caleb. Yeah, glad to. <laughs> so the play that we went to go see today was at the Arden, which we went to go see an Arden production last time. So I'm sure Caleb was happy to go back. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty nice place and it was nice to be in the bigger theater too. Yeah, we were in the we were in the auto the auto Haas stage, um, which was their bigger theater, which is more set for in the round shows. And then for the Treasure Island, we were set in their smaller stage, the Arcadia stage, which is upstairs above the auto Haas. So that was a that was a that was a pretty cool experience. Um, but do you want to refresh refresh the kids on uh, what you do uh, and your experience with theater? Yeah, I am just a baker, and my experience with theater, not much. Did some theater things when I was younger, then like dabbled in like liking some musicals and plays and stuff. But the most recent uh, theater thing I've done was join an improv class and got to see a bunch of improv shows as a requirement of the class and kind of got to liking uh, theater again and getting in the acting sphere uh, has been nice. Um, I was going to make an Into the Woods joke. Oh, yeah. You know Into the Woods? Yeah, I I haven't seen the... I thought our high school ran it once. We did. We did it in, like, 2004, and then they invited a bunch of kids to go uh, see it. A really cool thing that they do in our in our old... In our high school, we're older than that now. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, quick sidetrack <laughs> off this podcast, um, <laughs> is that they do um, this really cool program where the high schoolers will go to an elementary school or vice versa. The kids will go to high school and they'll do the first act of the show. Oh, okay. Um, to try and convince kids to go with their parents. Um, and I saw the first act of Into the Woods at our high school, and that's okay. how I knew that I wanted to do high school theater. That comes into my background. On my background, we haven't talked about that in a while, my background with musical theater and theater as a whole. I am currently trying to work as a set designer um, in Philadelphia and also in New York. Uh, I was I was told that I should look more into Philadelphia musical theater and theater. Um, and I was thinking that if I was going to spend, you know, so much money on it, and I didn't want to go see shows alone. So I thought, why not force my friends to go uh, and then force <laughs> them to be on a podcast after it? So that's basically what I've been doing is I've just been seeing a lot of Philadelphia shows, which is which is pretty cool because I'm getting to learn the, the lay of the land in Philadelphia. And I'm from Philadelphia, so I should know um, all of the places here. So my experience is I did a little bit of high school theater um, and then I went to a school that had nothing to do with theater. Um, and my love for, basically, it was my love for Broadway that continued me through college. And then later I would come out the other end and then start seeing more Broadway shows and more theater in Philadelphia, which was really important to yeah. see local and regional shows. And that's what I wanted all my friends to see were like regional shows. Because yeah, they're, they're all just, there. They're good. They're here. Yeah, they're here and they're good. Let's talk about the show that we're here for hey. <laughs> today. 
Um, so we're here to talk about Indecent, which uh, played at the Arden, which is written by Paula Vogel, um, and our director was Rebecca Wright, and she is she specializes in original immersive works, which makes sense because this show was staged in the round. Um, and there are a few uh, fourth wall breaks that we're going to talk about later in the podcast as well. What is your first impression? Do you think people should go see it? Or, I mean, it's over <laughs> now. No. <laughs> Absolutely, no. It was, um, yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, I didn't know uh, what exactly to expect. I was excited about the fact that it incorporated LGBT themes, of course. Happy uh, Pride. Hey. Uh, so that was nice. Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting. Uh, I knew I, I knew it was also going to be um, more way way more serious. Uh, and I was excited about that too. Yeah, that's that's about all the first impressions I had of it. I knew basically the the short premise of it. Yeah, I was really excited. Um, I had heard about this play doing really well on Broadway earlier, 2015, 2016, which is when it was playing on Broadway. Um, and as soon as I heard that the Arden was doing it, I was super excited to see it. Um, much like another show that I missed on Broadway, Fun Home, um, it was a chance to see a show that I hadn't seen, that I missed, to see it with regional actors in Philly. And I was super excited to go see it with a friend um, who was... At the time, I wanted to see it with somebody who was queer or somebody who was a part of the LGBT community. And if I could, I would also have liked them to be Jewish. Um, yeah, that, that would help. Yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to get somebody who was Jewish to talk about this. So there are a few things that we might bring up, but we probably won't expand on because I don't think either of us can really talk to any kind of Jewish experience. No, not really. I mean, we knew a lot of Jewish people growing up in our area, and that's, but that's not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's yeah, it. That's it. But if if we to... if it happens again, if it happens again, because it's a good play, it's a beautiful play. Yeah. Um, it will be played somewhere else. But hopefully, I'll be able to go with new and different persons, and they'll be able to see this musical, this beautiful music, this beautiful musical music play with music. Uh, As they say, it's not a it's not a musical. It it's is, a play with music. It is musical, <laughs> but don't capitalize that. Yeah, it is known. Um, it has music throughout it, and it has um, musicians and um, songs. Yes, and songs performed in both English and Yiddish, which is really which is a really interesting experience. Yeah, I guess we can't recommend you to go see it because it's closed now, unfortunately. But if you have the opportunity to go see Indecent somewhere else, whether, you know, you're listening to this podcast somewhere that is not in my general area and you're not my friends or family, um, I encourage you to go see this wherever it plays because it is a beautiful musical. It has a beautiful story and it's a chance to learn about somebody else's perspective who you don't, whose perspective you don't see yeah, it, um, a lot. Yeah, it's a really good history of something that I had never heard about before that's actually really, really important to stuff that's happening in modern times. And just overall, it's a really, really important story to be told. So let's talk about let's talk about the music a little bit. I want to talk about the show and the music. 
we're not going to give you a full, like, deep dive into the plot of the musical because it's a it's a show that is something that you should experience for yourself. And there was so much that was going on, and that's just something that you know maybe we'll we'll open up about. Um, I know that like my brain was trying to follow it sometimes so much it got a little lost. But let's talk about let's talk about the music in yeah. the play. Let's talk about um, so they had three music musicians who were also actors. So they had um, Sarah Statler, Rachel Massey, and Jason Russell Russell uh, playing the accordion, the violin, and the clarinet respectively. And they were part of the play, so they would be acknowledged. Um, but they were also playing music. There were some breaks in the show where they would kind of burst into song. Um, but what did you think of the music? Because I know that you were you were in band. What did you play again? Uh, I played trombone and tuba, and I also play other instruments, but in my band experience, I was exclusively a low brass member. What did you think about that? Uh, I liked when the clarinet player brought out a rockin' uh, bass clarinet, I believe. A really long boy and really i i appreciate that as a as a uh lower brass person and i can respect the lower woodwinds as well um yeah so i remember that i i liked how it was incorporated and how they weren't it wasn't just like you know an orchestra that is down in a pit of providing accompaniment but they're actually a part of it and uh if they weren't just in the background providing music uh they were also in character and they would maybe be a character on the street during something else that was happening uh so i really like that incorporation uh, just making it all feel very real and not like it was standing out yeah as somebody who played both violin and viola and then gave up after two years for each of them um, I like really respect people who play uh, instruments um, and can walk at this uh, just walking at the same time as playing your instrument is enough to overwhelm me. Uh, and Caleb was in jazz band and the marching band. Yeah. So that, you know, enough and is just <laughs> concert band. Yeah. The band. Yeah. The, I was in choir. So the scope of band. Mm hmm. So uh, they also would play multiple instruments, which was pretty interesting. So you said that one of them was playing a, a bass. Yeah, I believe it was a bass clarinet. Bass clarinet. And then also Sarah, um, I don't know if you know this, but we'll talk about this experience a little bit later when I was in, in tech rehearsal with them. Um, but Sarah was playing the typewriter. Yeah. So the typewriter... Um, at one point, there was one point where the typewriter was on the stage and it was actually the one guy trying to hit... To the beat of it, yeah. but there were there were also other points where it was off stage, yeah. and Sarah was actually playing it. Yeah, they used it as a mm -hmm. type of percussion, which was really interesting. Yeah, I really I really liked the typewriter addition. It's a it. nice sound too. So, let's talk about let's talk about a few of the other roles. Um, of course, it it was really funny because. Um, we were talking about Doug Hera, who plays Lemel, mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty cool because he's the only character that stays the same character yep. throughout the entire show. Uh, and it was really funny. Last podcast we talked about in Treasure Island, everybody playing different roles. And we were like, why does anybody have a name next to their like actual name in the playbill? Yep. And when because we, yeah. they're all playing different roles. 
and everybody just like it's just they play that role for like two seconds and then they're off to the next one um so we were like very uh <laughs> we were in a state of comfort when we saw that everybody had the had one name uh, next yeah. to their playbill. Little did we know that the first line of the play is Lemel uh, coming out and saying, "Everybody plays different roles." <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Asking there, I remember you, you mentioning like, "Oh, I can't wait to watch a play where people are just a character," and then you're like, "Welcome everybody. We're going to be playing multiple characters," and then explain it. it's like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, everybody played like three or four different characters. Um, Though it was brought up in a way that made it easier to follow. Um, like we found yeah. out that he he introduced yeah. it like uh, this is this person they play the lover and mm-hmm. and so we knew what kind of character they were going to be every time. It wasn't like they're suddenly a completely different person. Mm-hmm. That was. It was nice to at least there, to at least know there was a through line behind that, and I'm I I mean that's the same. It wasn't because like they didn't have enough actors or anything like that. It was because there was um, uh, an actual theme that ran through all of the people that they played. Whether or not that worked, I am just because like I don't know. I'm not great with following different characters through different things, um, even if like you know because. I, I would have a hard time with Come From Away because I think I told you about what happens in Come From Away, which is they play both the people who are coming to Newfoundland and the people who are from Finland, Newfoundland. So, like, they'll, they'll be wearing the same exact clothes and then they'll just suddenly switch accent. And I can't... You can't ask me to... Like, this. that's very hard for me to do. But you didn't seem to have a problem. You were pretty much okay with it. I mean... I still enjoyed the experience. There were many a time where I was like, oh, they're a new person now. Because um, I'm like not great with faces. And also part of the reason why I can't get into Game of Thrones too much because there's just too many damn characters and I can't remember names. <laughs> so like <laughs> there, I mean, there were times where it was difficult for me. I think, I mean, I think even the fact that they were playing similar characters sometimes was hard because like they didn't have a drastic, a drastic costume change. Yeah. And they were also playing the same archetype. So it would sometimes take me a second to be like, Oh, like this is a different scene. They're not that guy that they were last time, but they're right. Almost the yeah. same. So sometimes it was a little difficult, but yeah. it was still like fun to follow. And, well, and another thing that we'll bring up, again, we'll bring up a little bit later, is talking about um, the projections. Um, uh, yeah. Where they had, and this is a language thing, where they had um, something in, quote-unquote, in Yiddish, or quote-unquote, in English. When they're talking, so when they're talking in English, they would have very heavy accents, and when they were talking in Yiddish, they would have no accent. And that's how, like, I guess you could, quote-unquote, tell but um, uh, Michaela, who played the young, the young lesbian, the young lover, whenever she would play, she played both the original one of the characters in God, God of Vengeance, and then she also played the American who comes in later. So yeah. she gets replaced by herself. But the problem is with that is that she speaks English, and then she she so she speaks Yiddish. 
but she also in the parts where they're saying in Yiddish, she's speaking English. Yeah. But she's speaking it clearly because they're trying to demonstrate that in Yiddish, you know, there wouldn't be she wouldn't have an accent if she was speaking in Yiddish because the language is, you know, so she would be speaking with no accent. And then she would go into her American character who doesn't have an accent, which would be canonically in English. So it would be in English and then in English. And the only way that you could tell is she had like a little dress that she wore that she would change into to become the American ingenue, basically. Um, And that's sometimes, especially toward the end, when they were starting to kind of show um, the character Leah plays, there started, the story started to kind of blend and mix together. And that was when it was harder for me to tell. And I mean, that's just the fact that they were able to at least do a little bit of switching with costumes um, is like a testament to how really thought out they really tried to make it yeah. um, for people who maybe didn't get it. Like me, I'm very dense. I'm going to say, I'm, con- <laughs> I'm going to say I'm confused about another thing later. So just, you know, I was going to say, I didn't have that. There were like some characters I had trouble with. She was probably the only one I did it just because like her English American accent and I think it was actually mostly her personality. She, like, as soon as she turned into the American, she's like, well, oh, my God. She was just so innocent American girl (laughs) about it that I, like, anytime she was that, I was like, okay. Yeah. And then anytime she's another character, it's just way more subdued. So her, I had no trouble with. Like, everyone else doing multiple characters was also really good, but hers was, like, the two characters were so distinct from each other that, that that was probably the easiest one for yeah. me. But I just, like, quickly wanted to, like, ask you a question about that. So I went to a reading for a new musical called American Morning, which is by Timothy Wong, where I went to New York. And that musical is, it's not, like, a parent. It's very similar to Indecent in terms of the language where if they're speaking in American Morning, if they're speaking in Chinese, it's perfect English. And then when they're quote-unquote speaking English, they put on a heavy Chinese accent. And that is a really interesting thing to me because do you just, you know, put up your, you know, your proverbial middle finger to the audience and then do you just put the subtitles in projections, just have them speak, you know, in, in my case, Mandarin, or in Indecent's case, Yiddish. Do you just have them, you know, sometimes, you know, I to it to be make it a little bit easier, I feel like it would actually make it a little less confusing on the audience, but it would also it would alienate the audience a little bit, but I feel like it would be the genuine experience. And I can't say anything to indecent or the the language of them speaking in Yiddish versus English versus, you know, but in for American morning. Um, I can say that I, like, fully wish that they would just, like, I wish the songs were in Mandarin. I wish that they, you know, I wish that they would just speak Mandarin, and I wish there was some kind of way to accessibly show subtitles and just be like, you know what? This show is about the Chinese immigrant story. There are parts in the show where their accents get made fun of. You know, is this a story where we say, you know, you know, except that they're speaking Mandarin, know that people do that. Yeah. You know, is it catering to a different kind of audience when you say, oh, we'll speak English for you, like, with no accent, you know? I I think it's difficult in that 
it's one of those like where do you start situations where um yes you can but i think they also know if you try to keep it in that language the entire play you're gonna get less of an audience just by ever like just like regardless of what accessibility you provide you're probably gonna get less of an audience if you say this is a play in yiddish versus this is a play that involves the culture and sometimes features yiddish uh i think there was also was there german at some point there was there was a little bit of german at some point Yeah, yeah so i think they struck a pretty good middle ground where they had songs some moments spoken in yiddish in german um but kept it mostly in english because they knew that the vast majority of the audience was going to be english speaking um but yeah i think that's kind of a double-edged sword of like if you provide more people with the experience of uh watching something in a different language then they might be more interested in doing that in the future but you don't know how much that's going to bring in if you do that to start yeah so i i I think it's definitely a good idea um the experience that i have with that as a complete segue uh i'm a wrestling fan (laughs) and in the one company that i watch most of my wrestling promotions from currently uh, they have a big issue with allowing wrestlers who uh, speak English as a second language, uh, having them speak their language uh, when they do like promos and talk on the mic, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of time that's used in like a villainous way, like someone who's going to be the villain will speak in their language they'll get booed and stuff like that oh no (laughs) wrestling has a lot of troubles oh no but the thing is the thing is we're moving away from that is more people get into wrestling there's promotions all over the world and people are realizing like that's not as cool of a trope anymore when there's way when the foreign guy is the villain yeah exactly like that that still happens but we're realizing like that's not as cool to just be like oh he's speaking japanese so that means he's yeah yeah um so yeah i think it's one it's one of those things that like it's it's hard to start because you know you're gonna get less traction but i think uh, they definitely struck a really good middle ground with involving different languages heavily at some points but also being like hey this is accessible to who we know is going to come maybe it's a conversation that we have to have case by case because yeah. while you were talking about the context of wrestling, the context of American Morning is a little bit different than the context of Indecent. Indecent is kind of like the journey of a of a play, uh, God of Vengeance, through Broadway. So through New York, through Germany. They go to a bunch of different countries over in Europe. And they so, also had yeah, moments where whereas, they were turning the script to English as yeah, well. Whereas, whereas American Morning is more of a... Like the whole, the whole like American morning. It's only is, set in. It, it's a satire, yeah. basically, on the American dream. It's kind of yeah. like looking at the American dream and you know critiquing the American dream, um, and I think that that's maybe why I think that it should be a little bit more aggressive. Um, yeah, that makes when sense. It, when it talk when it, when we're talking about you know who says that you know a lot of the problems in the show stem from the fact that I think one of the characters like doesn't speak English. And that he has have he has such a hard time with it. There's like 
I, I mean, I, I was going to write a blog post on this show, and then <laughs> I didn't. Um, and clearly that was a mistake because I don't remember as much as I probably would have if I had just written the blog post. Um, but one of the, well, I remember, I think there was a song that had to do literally with one of them, like, in an accent. Like, and it was, I was it in half Chinese and half English, you know, but it wasn't like that because the entire thing was in English. And just yeah. one was singing in English and one was singing in in a broken English. It was, you know, it's a big thing and it's probably a lot more political. And I think that maybe it's probably a case by case. Yeah, I was um, going to say on, on that question, I think Indecent did a really good job of bridging that gap and exposing everyone to all of that culture that is involved in the story while yeah. also like making English where English made sense. Like I think more than half of the play actually took place when they were in America. Like, they had mm-hmm. parts where they were in different parts of uh, the country. Like, it started, and then the characters that went back to Europe and World War Two, all that other horrible stuff that happened. Uh, but the yeah. majority of it still kept coming back to America. So yeah. Yeah. I think it. I think it did a pretty. It had a really good balance in that. In that case. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to talk a little about the time that it was? It was set in. A really interesting thing is that. Uh, I think it's always really interesting when shows play alongside actual tragedies that happen. Um, the show was in parallel to the rise of uh, Nazis and the Holocaust. Um, yeah. There was a point where they all stood in a line. They put on Jewish stars. That um, was really... I just got like a chill thinking yeah. about that, actually. It was really impactful. And it was just like... That was like... I, I mean... It's very impactful. That is the big moment. But I just remember thinking about that all the time, how the character of of Lemel, like, it it was just so sad of him, like, working so hard for this play. And then he was like, you know what? I can't do America anymore. Like, I'm tired of having to, like, speak with this thick accent. And a lot of other characters had those sentiments as well. And, and, like, being like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to our country. I'm going to perform the play the way it's supposed to be, like, not in English. And then walked into Nazi Germany. Yeah. Uh, in the, with the most unfortunate timing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that was just really impactful. But then even, like, dealing with Nazi Germany, the scenes where they were, like, hey, we're in an attic and last... In a ghetto. Yeah. We're in an attic in a ghetto. Yeah, they're like, last week we had act one in the basement uh, and I hope you're all the same people. Here's act two. And then, like, their play got interrupted. Like, yeah, it was... Uh, there There was one character that actually was like, they were like, uh, they, were, they started to say, like, she's not here now because oh, presumably yeah. she died or was, I don't captured, know... Captured, yeah. Captured, transferred to another... What was it in the was it in a concentration camp? They said a ghetto, and that is very, yeah. It's reminiscent of of the of the Holocaust and concentration camps. I think it was still one of those. They're not at a concentration camp yet. They're just. So I looked it up, um, just to make sure that we weren't spreading any false information. And once yeah, again, it's been a while since we. Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm. Dumb. Um, and yeah. ghettos are actually um, areas that were specifically for Jewish people um, to be separated from people who are non-Jews. Yeah, from and that the was in population. that was in Nazi Germany, often impoverished, and and it then and they would get grabbed from those and put into concentration camps. Yeah. Later, so first they started with take notes, America. 
first they started with separating the separating the Jewish people from the population. And then they would take them and put them into concentration camps where, um, you know, honestly, if you don't know about the Holocaust or concentration camps, I want you to look them up so that you can read about it. Yeah. We educated ourselves. We did. We just educated ourselves and I didn't know that. It's unfortunately been a while since we've had AP history. Yeah. (laughs) You were in AP history. It was not an AP history. But it's it's an important thing that that you should know, and I'm glad that I got to research and find out what a ghetto actually was. Yeah. Um. Back in the back in the times of the Holocaust. Some unfortunate parallels. Oh now, boy. Now now we. Unfortunately, now we, we aren't that kind of podcast. But who knows? It might start another one. Hey, we're. I mean, um, we're talking about serious subjects. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, that that was interesting. The whole scene of them doing. It was. That yeah, them in the attic, uh, in a ghetto was the ending too it was near the end of the show yes and um i i'm gonna i would say that was i guess that was near the end i mean that was like the second half if there was an intermission Uh, because i still felt like there was a lot of the play left after like the troop had yeah uh, well i to the concentration i remember reading that the rain scene was actually supposed to close out the play and it didn't what the rain scene where they're where she's like, do you feel the rain? And she's like, I do feel the rain. And it was the whole... But they um, did that. It was the beginning... Yeah. It was the it was oh. the beginning scene where they were talking about how, like, they, the one lady, when they were doing the reading in the first scene of the show, and the lady's like, I'm not going to read this. Like, she laid her head against my what? And, oh, you yeah. know, that scene. And then they do that near the end, but they don't do it at the end. And I actually do think that it would be great if they did it, like, right at the end. And that was the last scene that you saw, but it isn't the last scene that you see. But they did a really cool thing with the set that we won't talk about yet um, with that scene that I really loved. Um, but do you want to, is there anything else about the about the story that you want to talk about? No, I think that was about it. Just like really, really well written, really cool history. So let's talk about, let's talk about the set a little bit. What did you think? So the set is, was done by David P. Gordon. And, well, first, what did you think of the set? What were your first impressions going in? Compared to, you know, since you can compare it to another Arden show, um, of Treasure Island, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was really cool. Way different from the other set, because uh, I don't think, I mean, I... Real big. They're, yeah, real, real big. Tall. Also, um, probably not as safe for children to be around the broken planks and sand that was kind of littered around the set and actually was part of the set moving moving pieces and planks yeah i thought it was really interesting to walk into is very atmospheric and and really got you in the mood not only the set itself but the people who slowly came onto the set before the play even started oh, that yeah. that's that served as props themselves mm-hmm. um just yeah all the actors before the play even started uh it started out with just two people when we got into the theater and then slowly more people came over time and all they did was like sit in one place or they would move like stand somewhere and then move every once in a while just like staring off into the middle distance uh and that was pretty interesting too and kind of kind of eerie but that was the point of it it was very like oh okay is that it took us a second actually oh yeah like, well i thought it was like a stagehand i was like why is that stagehand <laughs> sitting on because the first the first person who sat down sat like underneath there was like a little arch 
to represent like the arches of a traditional theater and they were like sitting like in the arch and it was very dark on them and i'm like is that like like what ardent apprentice is sitting under the <laughs> is sitting under the just um, chilling yeah under the arch like, why are they just sitting there um and then later when um he got up i was like oh he's a cast member it was very it was very not illuminated but yeah what did you think of I, I mean, one of the things that I really enjoyed was that at um, at some points there were parts where they would uh, do a part of a play, like a little snippet of a play, and then they would basically, it was their fast way of saying, oh, we're in this theater, now we're in this theater, now we're in this theater, now we're in this theater. It was basically yeah. the progression to Broadway very fast. So one of the things that they did is that they had several spots on the stage, because it's a circle, where there were like they kind of treated it like it was, like a Broadway stage. So they'd do one scene, and then they'd move over. They'd do another scene, they'd move over. And I kind of want to talk about the blocking of this little small scene that they did, um, because um, I actually went to go sit in their tech rehearsal. Yeah. And I don't, like, really know how much I'm allowed to say. I mean, it's over now, so... I mean, it's all stuff that can be seen. Yeah, so, so like... I guess it's really not, like, too much too much of a spoiler but um i want to talk about um the fact that there's a scene that they that is the last scene in god of vengeance and it's basically the girl has been having an affair with another girl and then the dad finds out and the one big, of the women in the brothel one of the, is, yeah. is one of the women in in the brothel that he owns and then he's like, you know, well, tell me that you're still a virgin. And then the girl goes, instead of answering the question, goes, I know what you do. No, you no, know. no. She said, I don't know. And he's like. Oh, yeah, me? Yeah. She's, oh, did she say I don't know? Yeah. She's like, tell me you're a virgin. She's like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't, don't know? know? Because she slept with a woman and she, she doesn't, doesn't know. know if she's yeah. a virgin anymore. So she, and then afterward, he is like, you know, like, why do I need this Torah anymore? And then he like. Basically well, yeah, and he tells his wife and his daughter that they're gonna that, go work down yeah, in the brothel. Yeah, like not not only his daughter, his wife too. For and some he, reason, well, like, his wife is also the point is is that his wife is also was originally from the brothel, I think, and then she he took her from the brothel, and then they had their daughter, and then the daughter okay he made her a quote unquote like proper wife, and it was a secret that the daughter found out about. And then he was like, so you're going to go back down there and you're going to work off the money that I paid. And it's very explicit in how they're going to work off the money. Uh, You're on your knees. (laughs) (laughs) And then, oh, it was, I mean, you know, and then he like tries it. The ending shot is him standing over her with the Torah, basically, about to like beat her with the Torah. Um, And that's how it ends. And the lights go out. Caleb's just laughing because Caleb thought that the prop looked Real dumb. I thought the prop Which was, was the point. Yeah, I thought, I was like, wow, that's a sh- shitty prop for, like, what's supposed to be, like, something really powerful and, like, awesome looking from, like, actually seeing tours in real life. And then it was like, oh, yeah, it's because it's supposed to be representative of what they could make. That, 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 at that point, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, like, a prop that they made. To, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, about the about the props is that the props so the props were done by Chris Haig again, which who also did the props in Treasure Island. Oh, um, and Chris Haig was also responsible for there were a few themes that he talked about with me, um, with the the 
the the sand in the in the clothes in the beginning, and then oh, so fun, <laughs> and then or the ash in the clothes, and then also he talked about how the how the show's props were getting more and more transparent as the show went along. So their their scripts at one point is on vellum, which is a see through papery material. I didn't even notice um, that, and it just transitions into like an almost clear no props kind of thing. Yeah, um, he's very... He pays very close attention to details. Oh, I want to bring yeah. up a... Real fast, I want to bring up a story that I forgot because um, if Chris Haig, if you ever listen to this podcast, I'll probably tell you the story before you listen to this podcast. But Let's I want to tell it. Because <laughs> I want to tell it. It's, re- it's really important. Um, so I was at Tech, um, and it was there was a scene with the doctor, and it was with Michaela at the time who was playing Jamie who played the writer of the show. So Michaela at the time was playing Jamie's wife. And then Leah, who was her lover in another role, was playing their doctor. Yeah. And there was a point where she has a clipboard and she's writing down all of his symptoms. And she, and she, during the tech rehearsal, they were in like a break and Leah was reading the script and she was like reading and she was like, so many details she's like no one is ever gonna see this and she like and she's like he like researched like all the things that he had and like what they called it back then because what is it what did they, they die they diagnosed him with like i don't know like hysteria and like because they were like something well, only women and writers get like hysteria oh is that what something said? like yeah yeah, okay, they were like, yeah, for a second I was about to be like, well, that was just a women's <laughs> yeah, diagnosis, yeah, yeah. but not the not yeah, too much yeah, it yeah, yeah. familiar. Um and and she was just like she was just like, he really wrote down like the proper symptoms and everything that he had. Like she they he, Chris Hay like filled out the information like on the sheet that no one was ever gonna see but her. And um yeah, those she was, are nice. And yeah, and she basically she and I just like wanted to, to put in the podcast, like she called him a genius. Like, he's yeah. just so smart. He's such a genius. And I just, like, that's, we're here for props appreciation, okay? I'm here for people appreciating no, their yeah. production staff. And she she's a very nice lady. And she is, you know, and Chris deserves it because he worked with, uh, really hard on, the, on those props. I remember listening yeah. to him. I love those kind of things. Like, I always think about whenever I watch shows, if I start to space out, I'll be, like, looking at different props. I'm like... Man, I would love to do that. Just, like, spend all that time. Like, it's a, it's a real craft to be able to think about the intricate little things that go into each scene. I like I like looking at papers that are on desks and, like, when there's a newspaper on a desk and it has something relevant to what's happening. And it's just, like, little things like that. Uh, speaking of which, uh, one of the first really cool prop things that I noticed at the top of the show uh, when the characters were all... Uh, discussing the God of Vengeance, the play, and mm-hmm. and reading it through, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed that they were reading the script, quote unquote, backwards, but mm-hmm. the proper way that Yiddish is read, uh, using the Hebrew alphabets, read right to left. Uh, so while they were reading the script, uh, they were actually flipping it through the correct way if it was written in uh, Yiddish, which was actually really cool. I tried to look if it actually was. I'm. 
I think, it, with I think Chris, it, it probably was. I was going to say, I, think <laughs> it, I, I, I thought maybe I saw English, but you know, I'm so far up. It was just black. Yeah, we were a little, little further thing. this time. Yeah, so it could have been anything, but I, I appreciated regardless that little like direction of like, oh, it's actually like being read the proper way. It's just that, that, that little attention to detail that like could just fly, like yeah. most things just fly over, but it's like yeah. without that, your immersion can be broken. Yeah. So that's really It, it cool. was, I re- we really appreciate, um, especially since like this is, I think, Chris is the only overlap in what we saw in Treasure Island and then what we saw for this this play. But we really, adm- I mean, I really admire his work. Yeah, I have um, a lot of things to say. He's about also his... just a really kind dude. He was, yeah. he helped me, he helped me get into their tech. Um, and he's really just a, an awesome human being. Yeah, I was going to say, I had a lot of things to say about his props last time too. So mm-hmm. he's, he's obviously doing a really good he job. He thinks through things so well. And yeah. it just, it's like, and it shows because we, are, we could talk about it forever. I could yeah, talk about so, the props yeah, forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, the whole sand thing, the fact that there were, like, broken <laughs> things scattered around the bottom of the stage, you know. That, that sand thing in the beginning was probably the, like, one and only laugh that happened this entire play when the, the play opened and the, like, they all had sand on them, but the one guy, like, was filled to the brim in his Was jacket. it Len- well, Lennel? Lemel, Lemel, Lemel. I'm pretty sure it was Lemel. Yeah, and he, he like, just it was just endless. Yeah, he lifted up his arms and then he started like shaking him out, and it was just like constant sand. And that that was kind of nice to br- bring up the play with like a laugh because you know the yeah. rest of it isn't very laugh worthy. Yeah, there was definitely a part um, in that in that when they were shaking out the ashware, I was like, I mean. You did you at the end of the uh, play. You were just saying like, oh, like they just like had that in their jackets. But I was interested in knowing if like the costume designer who uh, Nikki Delhomme, she like put like extra pot like little compartments for the sand to go in, and then like and then and to just store extra sand in there because like they were sitting on the stage. We got there really early. We were actually there like right at the beginning. So it was really cool. We got to see almost every character had their little moment where they walked on stage. But they had to be with that sand, and the sand had to not fall out while they were walking on stage so that the the, the added value of when he started saying, hello and welcome, everybody, and they just all started shaking out the ash. So I think that there were... There's a little bit. There's a little bit deeper, and I would really like to see like the wardrobe, like if she stashed little pockets of sand everywhere, then you could I, just like you know yeah. shake it out. I just thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, that's just a really interesting like how does that work kind of mechanic. That yeah. um, I'm sure that her and that um, Nikki and Chris both worked on together. Yeah. Well, what do you? What did you? What did you think about uh, the projections? And the, cause I was, I was there for the tech. So I got to watch it run over and over and over again. The, uh, the, the projections were done by George, uh, Cosinu. He is a, <laughs> he is a projection designer and is he a lighting designer? Um, he actually, I went to a panel where I saw him in last October and cause he was very more nominated. Yeah. Um, and he is, he's a super nice guy. Yeah. Um, and then again, I met him at Tech, and I was able to say hi to him. Um, and he works really hard on those projections, and they ran it like over and over and over again, just to make sure that it was, you know, the correct size and the correct, you know, because yeah. it's so subtle, but it's you know, it still has to look right and like 
people don't understand. Like, it looks so yeah, simple. It's a very stressful but... PowerPoint if one of those, uh, yeah. one of those subtitles accidentally goes too soon or too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I had no idea that that was going to happen. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Just all of a sudden, like looking up and seeing like indecent go up there. I was like, oh, okay. All right. This is what's happening. Cause they just kind of looked like, I thought they were just like part of the backdrop. Yeah. Um, which is also really cool that that was incorporated. Like they just looked like the backdrop and it's like, oh no, there's actually words on those. Yeah. Cool. There was, that was an experience that was like spoiled for me because I went to their tech, but, um, Good to hear your reaction of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's how many people would see it. Is that it was part of the backdrop, and then all of a sudden there are lights on it and words. But yeah, very so, yeah, very cool. subtle lighting. Yeah, um, yeah, it it added a lot. There were times where it was just hard. I guess like they were pretty high above the stage, so every once in a while I would find myself having to manually remind myself to like, oh yeah, look when they're like speaking another language, singing another language, or some like there was a date being brought up mm-hmm. to give context to the scene. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time I had no trouble like just looking at it and knowing what was happening. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite parts of sitting in their tech rehearsal, which was 12 hours, um, just saying it was 12 hours and they got through like, you know, maybe a third of the like tech week is always, you know, super long. Um, and I volunteered to stay for the full 12 hours because, you know, of course I would, you know, of course I would stay for a full 12 hours. Like, I was, like, excited. I was, like, bouncing around. And one of the really cool things that, like, I got to do was I got to sit in different seats. So I sat, so the Arden is kind of like, it's kind of like a pizza where there are, like, four different slices or maybe six. Do you remember how many sat? We sat in section B. So maybe oh. there were about, I think there were maybe six of them, like six slices and then... Uh, you had, like, the in the middle was the stage, and then a little behind them was also the stage. Um, so it was almost like a, a, a interesting-looking thrust stage, is, I believe, the term. And so it was really interesting because the last half of rehearsal, I sat in every seat. Every time they would have a five-minute break or a ten-minute break, I would move my seat, and I would watch the show from every seat. Um, and that's why we got the seats that we did is because the seats that we sat in were the best seats that we could get, um, minus the fact that we ordered them very last minute. But like, cause I had already seen it and I already known, kind of knew what like the best seats were. So we sat in B, we sat in section B. I was just wondering if, because we didn't sit in the extreme sides, if the, and I don't remember because so much going on, if there, there were at the, there were, so there were two sides that there was one, there was like a, a V of and then there was one projection on one part and another projection on another part and I don't know if they were ever different at one time I think no, they displayed the, the same information yeah because the one was facing yeah because the one was on facing the extreme right mm-hmm. and in the middle and then the other one was facing, facing it the was extreme a, left yeah because yeah. it's like a semicircle but not exactly so they only uh-huh. needed the two screens to be able to show everybody. so I was like wondering if anybody ever had like a problem seeing it because that's always important that everybody sees the projections maybe um, the people in the very bottom who had to like really just keep, arch their yeah necks. keep yeah. their neck up really high yes yeah. but it did a really good job of, of spreading out the um yeah they probably the thought of that too so i don't oh i'm sure they yeah, thought of everything yeah no, yeah no so it didn't it didn't seem yeah. like a major problem in any in, in any case but it would yeah. have been interesting to see so um i also want to talk about the sound and the lighting um, so Elizabeth uh, Atkinson, um, I also, I also met, um, and she, I 
currently volunteer at the Philadelphia Design Center, which is where the Barrymore um, thing was, where I met George, uh, George, George, George. Um, and uh, I also met Elizabeth there, and Elizabeth also uh, has come to a few of the potlucks there. So I've gotten to talk to Elizabeth. So when I saw Elizabeth there during tag, I was like, oh, it's you. And we had a nice conversation. Um, and she was like looking at, uh, sitting in the back and getting to look at her laptop. Um, and then also getting to watch the lighting designer, like doing all, I mean, like who knows, like I don't even know what they were doing, like stuff with like this lighting board. Um, and then Elizabeth had like, four different sound programs on and there were like certain sounds that had to play at certain points and like it's like you would never know and it just blows my mind the amount of work that goes into this into these shows um and being at their tech just made it me that much more appreciative of what they all do because you don't see it you know stage managers call you know the show behind this behind the scenes and there's a really cool video hamilton um, the Broadway musical got to do a lot of really cool things because it's so popular. And one of the things that they got to do is they got to highlight their uh, their stage management team and their behind-the-scenes team, their creative team. So one of the things that they did was they actually did a call-by-call, call, and it was a stage manager. They basically played the music of Yorktown, which is one of the songs in the show, behind her at a lower volume. And then she, on a microphone um, in front of everybody, called all of the cues that happen during that song. And it is eye-opening. Like, if you ever get a chance to observe a tech or somebody is kind enough, you know, ask nicely, um, to let you in on a tech, like, yeah. say yes. It is such an experience. It's like, I've been to two so far, and they're always so interesting and um, lovely, and all the people are so nice and kind. That's your only um, way to get behind the scenes. Like, yeah. Uh, movies have those in extra features on, like, Blu-rays, but you can't really yeah. get that. And they don't even really have, like, the production designers on it. It's yeah. just, like, the creatives and the actors. Yeah, so you can't really say. get that experience unless you go there. So what did you what did you think of the lighting and sound? It was really nice. Uh, I think they did a really good job of balancing everything. I, I really like the subtle differences in the lighting. Um, the lighting through the fog was really yeah there's yeah that was another part of the ambient set design mm -hmm. it was just like they turned on a like either slow rolling fog machine or they turn on a fog machine and then shut it off just to have the ambient air be like that but yeah it was very uh foggy the entire show so being able to work with that uh was really interesting mm -hmm. um considering how much that affects just like normal stage lights yeah uh yeah, there, there was a lot of good work there. It is a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, all driven by, uh, and uh, I should I should put that the the person who I met uh, that day was um, Alec E. Farrell, who was their stage manager, who um, on the day of the tech was just keeping everybody in line and keeping yeah. everything going. And the stage manager job is a job that I'll never understand and. I, there's, you have to keep track of so many things. I learned, uh, I worked on a workshop and I was under a stage manager and they had a stage manager kit. It was just a toolbox full of like a ton of like random miscellaneous things that could all be used at some point, like whether it was band-aids or scissors or ink cartridges for printers or, you know, it's, it's such uh, an interesting world. 
um, in the back. And I hope at some point I get to see, you know, I get to see a show, you know, with a stage manager or with a lighting designer or, and I think that, I think that as I get, as I get more friends. (laughs) (laughs) As I get more, as I have more friends, um, get more friends, as I go into this business, I'll start to meet new people. Um, And that will be an interesting, I think that the cool thing about this podcast is the different perspectives that everybody has. And they're all from different parts of life, different jobs, different, but you know, I've never like, you know, seen a show and then talked to somebody who has, was done stage management or has done, I've never heard that before because we're always interviewing the actors and the writers and the, but we're never interviewing the people who are on stage or the people. Keeping it together. Yeah. Although I will plug a podcast. It's called uh, Theater with a T and it's, and I will link it in the show notes just in case I got the name wrong. Um, But it's with um, Anne-Marie and she does uh, a lot of really cool podcasts with theater professionals who are not writers specifically. She just did one um, with a lighting designer named Allie. Her first podcast is with Chris Haig. Hey. Go listen to it. Um, and then she did one with like a PR person. She's planning an interview with uh, a representative of the of the equity of equity, huh. um, which is what actors use as their health care and their insurance, basically. And you get your equity card and everybody says you've made it, but whatever. So definitely like you know, check that podcast out if you want to listen to specifically people who are part of the experience. And you get to see how they came to theater and uh, what they're doing now and what they're going to do in the future and what they, you know, did in college. It's a really interesting podcast, but I digress. Yes. Do you want to talk about, I want to talk about, um, let's talk a little about the immersion of it. So what did you think, I want to talk about, um, we talked a little bit about the fourth wall breaking yeah. and all of that. I want to talk about the difference in audiences because uh-huh. we have this really unique experience where Caleb went to two shows at the Arden um, and one was done and it was a children's yeah. theater. And then this one was mostly adults. It was a Thursday. What was it? A Thursday later at night. It was like an eight o'clock show. It's very geriatric. Yeah. Whereas the Arden was a matinee. What do you? What did you think? What did you think about the audiences? Compare, compare and contrast the audiences. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting. It was mostly uh, way older generation than ours. Like there were people who I could tell were closer to my age there, but that was like the minority. Um, it was mostly older adults and like grandparents, grandparent type uh, people. So, yeah, it was way different uh, going into that and not having, like, children run around staring at the weird <laughs> adults who were watching uh, Treasure Island. But, yeah, it, 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 it provided a calmer experience based on the subject matter. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just a very weird... And, like, there was way more people as well. Uh, a lot more open space. Didn't feel cramped with all the running... And bumbling children. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to have that dichotomy there. I really I really enjoyed the kids actually. Yeah. Um, but that's because I'm again, like I said in the third in the Treasure Island podcast, I'm very aware of 
Um, and I would rather be it be a bunch of enthusiastic, screaming children than the people, no offense, who are... We had a person in our, in our show who just kept coughing every five minutes. It slowed down. It didn't. Yeah, it did. No, it didn't. Uh, yeah, it did. <laughs> they coughed the entire time. And no, like, it, it came in waves, but it's more noticeable. But it was a lot. It was enough that I can say with a medium amount of confidence that it would have been more polite if they had just stepped outside to cough. Well, because were... it would be for, like, five minutes. Like, I'm sorry, but please. Like, I... And we weren't even that close to them. Yeah. I can only imagine the peop- the per- poor person who was sitting below them who was, like, getting coughed on or had, like the, like, the coughing in their ear. It just... It bothers me so much. And I'm so sorry. I hope this person is okay and is not severely sick. Like, I hope that after they left the theater, they went to the doctor's office because it didn't sound great. Like, they also, unfortunately, tended to... It was one of those things where it wasn't doing it on purpose. It's almost like they were uncomfortable. Yeah, especially when... If, it, they, if they had only done it, like, during those times, and it wasn't every single, like... Yeah, there would be, like, a lull in, like, what was happening on the stage. Like, we present to you. <clears throat> yeah, she... Uh, or the people who had that problem, they, unfortunately, were coughing at... The most unfortunate intervals during the quietest moments. Well, they were coughing so much that they were just coughing during the show and also during the uncomfortable inter- intervals. Yeah. Um, and I just, like, I just, I'm so sorry. I just find it so disruptive. Just, like, I, I mean, it is, the polite thing to do is to step out of the theater. Mm-hmm. That is the polite thing to do. Just, like, if your baby is crying. The polite thing to do is to take your child and to take him out of the theater because clearly he's not doing well or something upset him. In the in the Arden podcast, I talked about this little girl who was behind us who cried during the first number. Why was it? It was because it was their big opening and it was loud and the band all of a sudden started and, you know, they're... Ch- children. Children. <laughs> and, and children. Yeah. So you just, like, it's, it's, pol- it's just, like, polite that if that's happening, you know... And it was, it was, you know, it was almost the entire time. I'm so sorry. It was almost the entire time and I just couldn't do it. Yeah, Yeah, but let's talk about, um, let's talk about some of the fourth wall breaks and what that did to the experience. I appreciated their, um, again, like we were discussing earlier, I appreciated them having Lemel come in and kind of, um, introduce everybody, but specifically saying, oh, this person plays all the lovers. And then at one point he was like, this, these two people play the parents all the time. And they, and it was a really good introduction. And while it did break the fourth wall and it did break the immersion a little bit, I think it was needed. What other fourth wall breaks were there? There were, I mean, there were a few parts where it was just the blocking, like they would sit at the end of the stage and you would realize like in your periphery, you would see other people and then them also sitting on the side of the stage. And that like, you know, the, uh, in the round space of a, of a show can like just be immersion breaking on its own sometimes. It's just, um, or it can immerse you further into the show, um, depending on how you do it with fun home. I made sure to sit in the front, like every show, for Fun Home, because I love Fun Home. Um, and 
them being so close to me actually made me more immersed because I was less likely to pay attention to this to the, to the what was happening around me and in a way I really enjoyed that yeah um you know I bringing you into a, something like a play like that and that's kind of what's really nice about going to a bunch of regional shows because you have more of a chance of getting into the front of a show minus the 200 and some dollars that it is mm-hmm. that on Broadway or yeah. anything like that or at the Walnut or at the Kimmel. Well, I really I really enjoyed this show. Um yeah. again, our recommendation is to go see it. Um if it's anywhere near you, if it's playing again in Philly at one point, you know, I'll go see it again with more people. Yeah. Um so please just go see this show. Um it's so great. I think it's very appropriate that we saw it during Pride, during Pride month. Yeah. Um it, it it'll be out July 1st probably, so not the end, so the fair end of pride month but it's great that we got to see it in yeah. such an important and i feel like the arden always does pride musicals they did fun home at this time too do you have anything else that you want to talk about uh no i think that was about it it's a really good show it's a really interesting look into history i had no idea about i didn't know that there was lgbt representation uh that far in, back in theater yeah in theater explicitly like that not written by someone who is lgbt also or at least like we don't know. Oh op- yeah, openly in any way LGBT. So uh, that was really, that was really nice to know about. Yeah. Well, do you have any social medias that you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I draw sometimes when the it strikes my fancy, <laughs> and uh, for that on Instagram I'm Apollo underscore Peach. I'm also the that same thing on Twitter where I just shit post. Uh, mostly I post art there too but again not as not as structured as on Instagram all right well thank you for coming on this so last minute we're gonna hopefully you know we'll see what happens with the next show um I personally will be off I guess I'll say the year I'll be off 2019 I'll be off August and September so that's in like a month or two um I will not be able to record film or edit um, as you may know, I do everything for this podcast, so I will be in the situation where I might not be able to do that, um, but keep updated on our blog. Um, I just posted the show notes really late. Actually, I didn't post them yet, but I re- wrote them up. I did the show notes for Treasure Island, um, so by the time this is out, that will be out. Um, and look for the show notes for this show, which will be out much, much earlier, hopefully yeah. the same day I release the podcast. Um, and keep on the blog because any shows that I see without friends or anything that I really kind of want to write about will be on that blog and it's captive audience. Um, dot it's on wordpress.wordpress.com. Don't quote me on that. There will be a link <laughs> Yeah. in the, there will be a link where I post this. And also the link is in the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this. What's your social media plug? Oh, well. oh, my social medias are captive audience basically everywhere. Except for okay. Instagram, because I have five, and we hit that limit. Oh, and there's a limit. There is a limit. You can have five Instagram accounts. Will. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed having you on again. Yeah, I'm glad I could see something else. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. Um, hopefully we'll see you again. I have one podcast in storage, and that mm-hmm. might be the one that goes up while I'm gone. See you Um, in a point in time. see, (laughs) See you hopefully soon. We'll see. Thanks for coming. Bye. Bye.